0: Hello and welcome to the Smells Like offended Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, smellslikeifinitsadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And today we have a very special guest who I'm really excited to talk to. We'll be talking to Dave Windorf, the frontman of Monster Magnet. Monster Magnet is set to release their 13th studio album. It's called Mindfucker, which is... Gotta be my choice for the album title of the year. It comes out March 23rd via Napalm Records. Now, Windorf has described Mindfuckers being both a good times and a rock for rock sakes record while also being very reflective of today's chaotic political climate. And I spoke to Windorf about the new album. We talked about how heavy current events played into his lyrical process, also the musical influences that inspired Mindfucker. We also discussed the band's legacy as well as their touring plans for later this year. Windorf is a fascinating, very smart guy to talk to, so we had a really great conversation. So enjoy the interview, and stay tuned afterwards when I'll be playing a new song off the new album. So first off, I wanted to say I've really been enjoying the new album. I like how kind of in-your-face it is, and direct, and kind of stripped down. I've been really digging it.
1: Oh,
2: thanks, man. Thank you.
0: As reading in the Mindfucker Manifesto that you attached to the promotional materials for the album, that you describe it as a rock-for-rock-sick album with a Detroit edge to it. And I was wondering if this kind of stripped-down approach is maybe like a reaction against the past two albums, which were uh, Milking the Stars and Cobras and Fire, which were, of course, kind of drastic psychedelic reimaginings of The Last Patrol and Mastermind. So is that kind of a reaction against that, or how, how did you decide to go for a more kind of stripped-down album this time around?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted to get something done that uh, that could that feels good. You know, because I'm, I'm in it. Like, I realize I'm going to make a lot of records, and um, I, I want to keep on making records and the only way to really do that is to just kind of go with your gut um uh with where the energy is going to be according to how much energy you expended on the last one uh or what kind of energy so in order to remain uh enthusiastic about doing another one it's usually kind of the other way around you know you just want to do the opposite or something, something like the opposite um You just want to, I mean, when I say you, I say me. I just want to be excited about making records all the time. So if I take, if I do three, you know, one big long form record and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm into all this shit. This is great. Let's make this sound. I don't care if it's 11 minutes long. It's fucking awesome. After doing all that, my first reaction is, yeah, that was fun. Now I never want to do that again. I am so (laughs) sick of doing this. (laughs) I go out on the road. And we play some shows, and they're like, hey, you know, it would be nice if we could just fucking rock. Maybe take, maybe do a record that takes two weeks in the studio, rather than you know, like two months of mixing and all this stuff. It's just natural reaction to the previous action.
0: And I was also reading that you said that you know, before you did the album, before you started writing the lyrics, and you had this initial plan for kind of a good times record that was kind of you know carefree and and very escapist. And then of course the election happened, and I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. How did that affect your lyrical process and how immediately were you like, I had to kind of change course for the lyrical aspect of it?
2: Yeah, it was shitty timing for me because, like, yeah, really, I just wanted to make a good time record, like a sex, drugs, and rock and roll record. Like, this thing doesn't have to mean anything, it doesn't have to be from any time. You know, it doesn't have to be me. Most of the time I write a record, I'm reflecting on what's around me. Um, <laughs> and like a writer, was kind of taught this way to write from the heart. Even though Monster Magic songs may say may sound fantastical to your average listener. The stuff is really written from the heart. It's just me just kind of messing around with words to describe how I feel. And uh, I thought that this time, like a good sex, drugs and rock and ro- rock and roll album meeting, I would sing songs not about myself, but about scenarios. Just cool shit like, you know, I wanna fuck shit up. And that kind of stuff. I want to set a building on fire. I want to. Uh, <laughs> I want to fuck twenty-two girls. I want to do this, you know, simple rock and roll things. And I was all set to do it, and then the Trump thing started to happen. While we were, you know, I mean, I forget what I was doing but the music was written. I was like, oh, well, this won't really happen, you know. And then Brexit happened, and then Trump actually did get elected, and I was like, wow. I'm not going to let that shit get to me, you know, I followed it like anybody else, and my timing was when I had scheduled out the time to write these words after tracking leads in the studio was dead on when he got elected, and I was like, well, I can't escape it now. I'm stuck with this thing, it's like burning through my brain like anybody else who cares about that kind of thing. I was watching watching the news every day, you know it's unprecedented that. That's such an inept oaf. You could actually, you know, it's a, it kind of <laughs> proves to everybody that it kind of proves to everybody that the whole country is kind of asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean that's the real takeaway from this. Oh, people really don't give a fuck. They, you know, they, they, if they would vote. There's enough people in the world that would vote like a giraffe into office if, they, <laughs> if the giraffe was wearing their sign. You know, it'd be like, well, I like it. <laughs> it seems cool. He's saying what I want to say. Yeah, but it's a giraffe. Don't talk about that. It's my giraffe. So that freaked me out. And of course, I continue to try to write this record that was cool and rock and roll because the music was telling me to write that. The music wasn't telling me to write, you know, like political scenarios. The music didn't say write you know write me as a political song or write me as that. It just wasn't telling me that, and I didn't have any other way to go. I had to like try to write those songs and to fit what I was feeling at the same time, which is why the so, you know if you lyrically in the songs, I'll try to have uplifting choruses and I'll try you know it'll sound like it like it's really really happy, or as happy as it could be. But then if you look in the lyrics, there's all like just words like lies and I'm always complaining about my brain. You know, <laughs> songs come up sounding the same. Mindfucker, brainwashed. It's all this stuff. I said, "All right, that's the way it's going to be. It's just going to be a slightly odd lyrics." You know, I'm going to try to fit my 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 sex drugs and rock and roll in there, but some sometimes it's, uh it's going to show itself for what it is. And then I thought, when it was done, which was really quickly because I, I didn't want to beat myself up over it too much, it would just make it worse. You know, I don't want to sound like Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing against Rage Against the Machine, but Monster Man has never been like, we're going to think about politics like we know what we're doing, you know, because I, I do not know what I'm doing. Um, I just have an opinion like anybody else. So, in the end, I look back and I said, well, okay, that's an honest representation of uh, a man having somewhat of a nervous breakdown of watching, <laughs> you know, just half kidding. Yeah, that sounds like somebody who's like a little bit paranoid. In my dream... My dream world, the world of 2018 in another dimension, would have songs that mimicked, that reflected life, current life, at all times on all the radio stations. You know, it's not happening today, but why wouldn't there be a record called Mindfucker in 2018? Of course there should be, right? You know, it's like, yeah, 2018, you know, and, and the big hit is Mindfucker. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's the way I looked at it. Of course, there's a song called "Mind." Of course, there's an album called "Mindfucker." It's 2018.
0: And do you remember the first song that you came up with with the lyrics for that? And also, when did you come up with the title, which of course is an amazing title? That was, you it was was all pretty quick. I mean, it's all happened in about a week.
2: Um, yeah, I just
0: I just set them up, one you know,
2: just like I did the words, it was the music. it was just like, all right, you've got giving you. I gave myself a week to do it first week i just knocked off after four days because stuff was coming back it sounded like the op-ed page of the new york times it was not good <laughs> you, know, see, you know it's like like this is not cool this isn't a rock and roll you know it's like rock and roll songs man take pride in, in including the word baby as many times as i can in a fucking song you know it's got to feel like a real rock and roll song this is not metal fantasy and um you know, there's a big distinction, you know? So, I think I wrote, I was trying to write the songs, as, uh, trying to write the words as I wrote um, the songs, which is mostly in sequence to the album.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I actually wrote the music in sequence, first time ever. I was, here's the first song, here's the second song, here's the third song. And uh, So I tried to do it that way. Yeah, in the sequence of the record, I just kept saying like when I was writing this stuff, I was like, Okay, here's the first song of a of a record. Maybe this'll work. Maybe I can like write one. Here's number song number one. Okay, here's song number two. Uh, what should come after that? I was trying to write it like a like a set of a live set of music. To try to get some sort of like set continuity to it. Thinking that, you know, I always think that hopefully I can keep people listening to to the album, without fast forwarding,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know. I mean, that—that's what you don't want. At least that's in the old days. That's we you didn't want people picking up the needle. I'm old enough to remember when it was, you know, pretty much just vinyl and the CDs, and you didn't want people um, fast forwarding or or picking up the needle. You, you wanted to keep people there, you know, for as long as possible. So the sequence is really important. And that's the way I wrote it so musically, and that's the way I tried to write it lyrically. Was I think if I wrote lyrically? I actually, wrote the first three songs in sequence as well. Got to Mindfucker, and it just sounded good. You know, I just hung around my kitchen, just singing like a monkey, just blah blah blah, baby baby, baby oh mindfucker, mind, fucker, mind was like that. That's good, and it made complete sense. Mindfucker is one of those words that's been around since I was like fourteen years old you know that's you know that's what that's what my friends would say at the end of two thousand and one a Space odyssey but an ending was a mindfucker, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's the go to beavis and butthead phrase for anything when when people are like confusing you on purpose mm-hmm. or even on not on purpose you know it's also also very common when uh, when you know uh, a woman, like, fucked with your head, or you thought a woman was fucking, her head. she's a mindfucker, man. You know? Anything, you, it's a good blame word. Like, I didn't understand it, therefore, it must be a mindfucker. <laughs> and it just sounded good. And that's why I put it in.
0: So, did the title come first, or did the song come first, and then when you heard the, play the song, you're like, okay, this is definitely got to be the title to kind of jump at, at you like that, or?
2: I listened to the music, and then it just started, like, singing along like an ape. <laughs> and making up words just singing them and then when the chorus came I just started singing you're a baby you know? and I was like well that's of course that's what it must be that's and you know, it was like it just all came like that and then I wrote the words to go with that it didn't even concern me what the words of the song were about as long as I had the chorus at that point it was one of those songs I was like you know it doesn't even matter what the rest of the stuff would be I mean of course it does and I made sure it did but um, uh, uh you know, I wanted to I wanted to use the word mindfucker, but I also didn't want to do, I didn't want to point it completely towards politics and go, It's twenty eighteen and it's a mindfucker baby you know, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to make it a some way to use it so people could use that word in a song. Any way they wanted to, so I put it in a romantic context, and that was fun.
0: And you said this was the first time you've ever written an album in sequence. What inspired that approach? When did you get the idea to try that?
2: I'm uh, Playing live, we're I'm uh, playing live, and uh, I was watching the guys, Bob, Phil, Chris, and Garrett. Um, you know, the members of Oscar I'm like fucking awesome. You know, they know all the stuff, and you know, we we worked together for. A real long while now, you know? I've been through a bunch of different members, but these guys are the best. And we were doing uh, older Magnus stuff that was less psychedelic, was straight ahead rock. And notice how much they liked playing it. They really, it was like in their wheelhouse, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I was sitting on stage, or standing on stage in Germany, like, man, these fucking guys are good, you know? (laughs) It was great, it really, it's a good feeling. When you listen to your own band, you're like, wow, these guys are fucking great. And then a couple of days later riding on the bus and I'm like, what am I what am I talking about? You know, this is not a problem to write the next record. So I was thinking what I should do. I was just waited for these guys. I was just thinking thinking of them. I was like, how would this how would this go in a set? I was playing a live set, these particular guys playing a live set. And they just set to work after that. It kinda worked. I was really surprised. I never thought it would work. I thought it was just it was just a device to get me writing, but it actually worked. I mean, I, I think I got to about five songs before the whole... Uh, the first five songs were actually written in sequence, and then the rest of it I had to throw out. But it worked well enough to get me going.
0: And going back to that, no in the press release, you also said that this was the best lineup you've ever worked with. And so when you are when you got a lineup like you have right now, does that help inspire your songwriting as well? Is there, do you write a certain way when you have a different lineup? Does that kind of inspire how you write?
2: Um, I never had... In the past, I usually don't. I just kind of go into my world and hope that it'll uh, turn out better later, you know. I'm a a limited musician, so I really, really super, super depend on whoever I'm playing with. I mean, obviously, you know, no man is an island. Um, But I always had faith that that it would work out some way, some way I would get what I was looking for. in this case in the old days i didn't know exactly what i was going to get from my guys Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't even consider it this is the first time i actually considered it and it's way more fun this way
0: and i was really digging ejection off a new album and i i just actually realized recently that it was a cover i uh, robert calvert of hawkwind if i have that correct
2: yeah robert calvert former singer of hawkwind
0: and I know Hawkins has been a big influence on you. I just was wondering, when did you decide to, to choose this cover, and what made you decide to put it on the album?
2: Well, for, for one thing, I could cover everything off that album. He had an album called uh, Captain Lockheed and the Starfighters, which is one of the most bizarre concept albums of all time. It's just fucking awesome. Um, and it's been one of my favorites since I was a little kid. And nobody ever heard of this record. It's one of those ones where you're like, you ever hear Captain Lockheed? No. Uh, <laughs> but it's really, really good. And it's just so particular to its own odd concept, you know, about the jet fighter jets and the, and the post war German Air Force and crashing planes and gremlins. It's just totally out there. You know, I don't know what these guys were thinking, how anybody could be into this because it doesn't relate to. It doesn't relate to rock fans or anybody. It probably only relates to like odd, obscure history buffs, which makes it even cooler. And it's the guys on the on the album are like Hawkwind guys and Pink Fairy, so it rocks. I could cover every song of their record, have no problem. This was just like in the bag, like one of those in the bag songs for me that I always wanted to. Re- I always wanted to record. So I was thinking B-sides. Let's, you know, we'll do a B-side, maybe we'll do Ejection. I went in to put it down, started recording, and I was like, ah, oh, that's got to be on the record. That's, you know, record needs something like this. It's straight up, you know, major chords, rock and roll. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking hit, you know, if they exist anymore. So put it on the record.
0: And I know you're talking, you also mentioned that this Detroit Edge, it was kind of, you know, the proto-punk sound you were going for on the album. You can yeah. really kind of hear the kind of Stooges MC5 vibe and some stuff. Yep. Are those two bands that have, like, figured heavily on the album? And what other artists do you think kind of factored into your your mindset on this one? Uh,
2: yeah, those those two guys. I mean, when I think Detroit's that's what I think of that. And Grand Funk Railroad was actually in there, too. It doesn't show itself probably as much. Uh, but yeah, Grand Funk Railroad, Alice Cooper, early Alice Cooper group. You know, from, like, Love It to Death period and uh, uh, School's Out, Mm -hmm. Killer. They were out in Detroit at the same time. Really guitar-oriented rock. And most of that stuff, the Detroit stuff, it really swung in a way. It wasn't just hard rock. It was hard rock and roll. And uh, that's quite different from the British thing. You know, British was, like, heavy for the most part. At least the stuff that we're talking about, heavy rock. Um, but it wasn't. It, it was bluesy sometimes, but it was never like, mo- for most part, rock and roll. Except for Zeppelin, so the Detroit thing had a kind of a nasty whine to it, almost like a mutt, like an underdog kind of, <clears throat> almost punk rock. You know, that's why I call it proto punk. And that's what I was really trying to get is the kind of that that proto punk attitude, which you know, sometimes just straight choppy chords, you know straight choppy chords big choruses and uh, really whiny, fuzzy guitars. You know, decidedly lo-fi to get the mood going. It would have been different if I had to record the record like super, you know, metal or something like that. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have had its thing. That's what I get from the Detroit thing. And those bands, it's interesting because, you know, those bands didn't do anything except for Grand Funk. They didn't really do much when they came out. Mm-hmm. They weren't that popular which always makes me want to hear more of it i think that's why i write it you know it's like if that stuff would have been huge forever i probably wouldn't be right i wouldn't even be thinking about it but it's never been overplayed in my eyes it's like it's like my roots you know you know people have their roots music you listen to when you're 11 or 12 and it sticks with you forever that stuff sticks with me
0: well i think you know when i hear a lot of you interview like a lot of you know, rock musician. They always say the same old stuff: Led Zeppelin, Eric Clapton. It's. I think it's always refreshing when you know you have an artist that has kind of more underrated and obscure influences. I think the music comes out a lot more exciting and experimental to me as a result.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks, man. You know, I, it's weird. It's like I was influenced by those guys too as much, but I think I was after that. I was a, a like really came of of teenage consciousness when you first start really getting it you know i guess i don't know how old you are when you really started getting it but it's usually about like 14 where you're like you start to get it earlier but then about 14 you can actually formulate opinion
1: Mm -hmm. that you can exactly
2: you're like all right fucking yeah you know i'm a this is what i am and by that point i think for me it was like 71 or 72 so most of the 60s while it was still there was for people that were older than me, say 30 Mm -hmm. or 25 or 30 generation gap. So my music was anything that was coming out new. And that was of course Zeppelin, Sabbath, that stuff. But there was this whole, whole stream of bands that came out emulating them or inspired by them that didn't go anywhere. They just like, didn't make it in the business. But they put out a couple albums. To me, that was the shit. I was like, nobody's ever going to find out about these bands, except for me. I had that whole little kid thing where I'm like, this is my band. You know? <laughs> <go through> the, <laughs> exactly. This is fucking my band, dude. Like, nobody ever heard of them. The Secret Weapon. And I wasn't making up the quality. I mean, the quality really was there. Bands were experimenting like crazy back then. You know, all different styles. I mean, and, and I was glomming onto this space, kind of post psychedelic space rock protopunk, but at the same time, everybody else was going nuts. It was like different music every day. So I went for the underdogs, you know. I was like, wow, nobody ever heard this before. And there seemed to be a lot of them. It was like Sir Lord Baltimore and Dust and Captain Beyond, million British bands. It's fucking awesome. And it never left me, even though my first band was a punk band in, like, 76. Mm-hmm. When I finally got old enough to do it, I was, a part, I was a part of the punk scene and in, uh, in CBGBs and stuff. But in my head, it never left me that the, those, that first, you know, it's like your first love or first romance. And when you're a kid, you, it's hard to get rid of that stuff. And sure enough, it's still there. It's still coming out.
0: And I, I think my favorite song off the new album is "I'm God." I really—it's just got a really cool feel to it, and I love the lyrics. Yeah, and I was reading him I looked at the lyric sheet, and it basically you say, "When I made you, I also made the stars, and they turned out fine." Well, you keep wrecking the car, and all you slops have a lot of nerve. And the end times is all you deserve. and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that kind of sums up where we're at. In, you know, 2018, it feels <laughs> totally, it, it feels
2: like totally a- like if God's up there, he's like, you know, some you kids really fucked up,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: <exactly>. you know, <laughs> you guys fucked up. I, I got, you know, you're awful lucky. I don't just push the button and fry and make you guys go supernova, but maybe I'll walk away. You know, maybe I'll just walk away. But in, in either cases, in either case, you're kind of on your own. You're embarrassing me. You know. I made the stars and they're fine, like they're fucking they're beautiful in the twinkling. You guys just keep fucking it up. <laughs> Amazing. And it, Yeah, I mean that that's the point I was during that inauguration week. I was like, I don't know. How am I supposed to like how am I supposed to express myself? Okay, I'll just pretend I'll write a song from God's perspective.
0: And I mean does that I mean, I don't know how you feel. I know we feel everything feels so shaky right now. Every day seems like, oh, is this going to be the day we all kind of go up in flames, or we we don't really know. Do you? Yeah. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future, and and how does that kind of shape your you know your art? Well, you know, usually I'm I'm totally optimistic, and like I, I'm cynical enough to protect myself
2: in the modern world, so I'm not, you know, exactly a full-blown hippie going like, it'll all be cool, dude, you know, just looking. (laughs) I'm going to go down and get my vapes, you know, I'm going to get my vape weed. Uh, So I'm cynical. I come from punk rock, you know, as well. At At the same time, I'm very aware that at the core of mankind, there is as much good as there is bad. So I'm hoping you know i'm thinking that there's some some way we can learn from all this is, and this isn't like you know the road to doomsday if we don't learn a lesson from this then we're you know we kind of deserve it <laughs> you know i mean there's nothing to learn from this the whole thing except for uh it's like you know you got sometimes you got to pay attention <laughs> before you before you make moves like this like hey let's vote this guy in <laughs> uh, it'll be fine it'll be great and this is beyond political Politics. Uh, politics. It's beyond, it's beyond political idealism. This is just like: is there somebody can do a job, or there's somebody that can't? You know, politically, I, I tend to go towards the left because it's more fair. You know, I'm just about being fair. That's it. You know, it's like I, I I don't bring ideology into it too much. It's like just be fair to other humans. It's pretty easy to figure out, and you have to follow that. Be fair to other humans. Make sure the poor people are fed. You know, we're gonna get nowhere from keeping poor people down, you know. And you gotta be able to learn to live together. All that shit that you should know instinctively. But uh, you know, I guess every once in a while the fucking rednecks take over. Yeah. And that's what we got now. You know, it's like redneck America. America, love it or leave it, all over again, the whole thing it's like we don't we don't there's no other way. Uh we operate from fear. And operate from paranoia, and that's basically the thing. You know, we're justified. We're justified because we're just being, just looking out for people. And it's like, no, you're not. You know what it's all about. And people are scared. Well, I think we'll make it out. You know, cooler heads will prevail. All I know that right now, there's not very many cool heads involved in this. No. You know, especially not in the government. And right, right next to them is. TV news, which, you know, TV news is a giant mess. It's it's just on all fronts, you know, on all fronts. Um, It's a crazy money-making machine that's out of control. They don't know how to report the news. All they know how to report is confrontation. That's get the ratings. So typical American, we look at everything as some sort of football game or gotcha contest. You know, that's what TV news. is like a to get the gotcha contest. And it's like we don't need the gotcha thing now. We need some some slow and like thorough explanation of of truth of 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 the of the facts as we know them. Don't need people yelling at you. So I think this is this. It's like fucking <laughs> Andy Griffith up there. You know? but I just don't watch it. It's nuts. So just read the paper. You know, just read the newspapers. Yeah, it's embarrassing, too, man. I mean, I go all over the world. I'm an American citizen. I am you know, I always consider myself, uh, when called for, to be a good ambassador for America. I love this country. I love what it represents. I love what it's given us and what it's given the world. Uh, even with its faults, I always thought we had way more goods than we had faults. You know? It's a really good example to the rest of the world of how we people could move forward, being more or less fair, and being ha- and having a lot of stuff. Our standard of living is so much higher than anybody else's. You know, it's, it's our duty to be the good guys. And now that that's pretty much right from the top, is like, well, fuck being a good guy. You know, that's pretty much what Trump is saying. Fuck that. <laughs> we'll just be good guys to us. And everybody else. Kind of fuck you, no matter how no. he backpedals on it. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the message. And uh, that ain't a good message, man. That That's pretty much telling, every, telling everybody, like, well, you're all on your own. You know all that global village shit? Fuck that. We're going to roll the borders back to, like, 1939 and pretend all that shit didn't happen. And we'll just, good luck. Well, that's a recipe for fucking world disaster is what it is. You know what I mean? The world ain't that big. So I, I'm just hoping that people will realize that. They'll go up into the history books and go, you know, this was tried before. You know, all this stuff he's talking about, this attitude has been tried before in the United States, and it didn't work. And and, and even more, it's been tried in uh, in Europe in the 30s, and that didn't work either. It ended horribly.
0: But do you think, I know you mentioned the manifesto, again, I, I bring that up because it's, it's- I really like reading that, but you mentioned that, you know, stupid is the new smart and doesn't even pay t- to think. So do you think that, I guess in a culture where you've kind of downplayed intellectualism and social media has taking over such a presence where people kind of get lost in the, in the cycle of reading stuff that yeah. isn't accurate, that it facts just don't even matter anymore at, th- at this point.
2: Yeah, it doesn't, it well, it doesn't matter to the guys that are using them as weapons. Mhm.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: like the guys that are using them as weapons, which is mainly the far right. Um, and, you know, probably fringe groups of all fringe, basically when things like this, when the when the center gets weird and the president's obviously a nut, like, hey, the guy's like the old man in the barbershop. I think cops should have guns on their on their hats. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what I think? I think today that, you know, it's like pretty nuts. Um, when that happens, it opens the doors to every fringe group. So all the people towards the center, which is America's always been best when it's run from the center, uh-huh. that allows people to be individual on all sides of it. They don't have to be the center, but they can go out there and be as kooky as they want and explore themselves and do what they have to be and be individuals because the, the people running the place are like level-headed. Um, when they aren't on either side, that's when things get funky. You know, that's when things get really weird because it gives it empowers basically nuts and huge ideologues to pretty much run anything up the flagpole. And the stuff they're running up the flagpole these days are insane, you know. Like, you know, multi-billion dollar walls around the country. Like, what is this fucking escape from New York? (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Hey, like, we'll do it. It'll be great. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just think that stuff through and you think about the amount of money that it would take to do stuff like that and how ineffective it would really be in the end. And, but nobody, you know, they just go for the idea of it. Um, what was the question that you asked? I got off on this.
0: I was just basically talking about how you know, we kind of live in a culture where facts have been downplayed to this point. And... Oh, right. So yeah.
2: So, yeah, so you can run ideas like that and they work because they're very effective. Because there hasn't been a good example of cooler heads going. Wait a second. You want to talk about this? This you know these more or less almost impossible ideas. You could talk about it on your own time, but not on the national stage. Because really, right now we have mouths to feed or we have an economy to balance, and we want to make sure that real things get done. Um, but you know, far right guys and fringe groups. They're not interested in actually getting anything done. They're just interested in throwing a monkey wrench into everything. So they don't need facts. They need just facts that will suit them. They need answers that will suit them. They don't want to sit around uh, and uh, make sense. So it actually, for them, it pays to lie. It pays to lie. It's like the message is lie big. If you're going to lie, lie big. (laughs) Lie big and lie often. All the time. Just keep on going. every—you know, Just keep everybody mad. And, <clears throat> and definitely drink your own Kool-Aid. And I think that's what the internet has afforded a lot of people, good and bad. Yeah. An opportunity to drink their own Kool-Aid, get high on it, and not have to physically suffer the repercussions for that kind of stupid talk. You know, if all the stuff that went on the internet in the last, like, eight or ten years had gone on in public meetings, just face-to-face, like a ten-hour public meeting, believe me, this shit would not be going on. Because normal people would go, are you fucking out of your mind? What did you just say? And they'd talk it out and they'd realize, yes, okay, I got a little hot. Now, it's like arguments and overheated rhetoric are the headlines. And I think people read them as, as, like, what's really going on. It's like, this happened today. No, no, this was just a fight over something. The, the, the headlines, the, the newspapers report, first they report a story, and with as many facts as they can get, which usually aren't a lot in the beginning. The next headline is not a report talking about what else happened in that story. It's a report about someone else's opinion of the last story. hmm I think this means the end of the world. And the next thing you know, the headline is end of the world. (laughs) Wait a second. No, this is some idiot. This some idiot said it was going to be the end of the world. Not is it the end of the world? And that's not a question. Now the question is like, they're not sticking to the stories. I think they're going for as many clicks as possible. And especially on the news, it's a ratings game. They can't help themselves. Um, So I, Almost everybody's being taught, go ahead and lie. It kind of works. You know, it keeps you in the game. And that's the thing that pisses me off the most. It's like, lying should not, you know, lying should not be an easy way to stay in the game. That should be, you know, always a thing. Like, man, you got to fucking, you got to walk it like you talk it. You can't just talk it. And these guys, especially the Trump guys, that's all they do is talk. It's just all talk. Crazy talk, too. I mean, it could be. Yeah, you know, and it, it's, it's you know crazy hateful talk. So yeah, stupid is the new smart. They've proven it. It's disgusting. Who I win? Then <laughs> I guess it's kind of an American thing where everybody basically looks at things as if it's some sort of a football game, and that if the points are scored by the end of like this round or like a boxing match. If somebody got the most points in their somehow a win. And they've looked at it like some people look at it as they don't look at it as bullyism or bullshit. They look at it as well, they're a winner. And I think that's why some people look at Trump as a winner, because he had his way. Survival of the fittest. It's pretty scary. Because if you look back in history, everybody who's behaved this way usually goes down pretty bad. You know, they usually go down pretty bad. I mean eventually. How much can you bullshit before you get called out?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, now, I like, I like calm, boring
0: presidents. Me too. You know,
2: a nice, <laughs> Boring, calm president who I kind of agree with and Don't agree with. I don't mind taking time for, you know, life to, for life to advance. Progressive politics to get better at what they're doing. I don't need any rush jobs. You know, I mean, it's easy to wish for that, but fuck, man! When any of these guys trying to ramrod something, things bad things happen. Yeah, bad things are happening now.
0: And I, I think you know when we're talking about how there really is kind of no respite or from the twenty four seven news onslaught. I think escapism is is really important right now. And to me, when I think of escapism you know, musical escapism monster magnet always kind of comes to mind for me because you have this ability through your music and your lyrics to really kind of take people to another place and away from their troubles you've kind of got these you know very outside sci-fi kind of comic book you know mindscape soundscapes that you that you work with and is that something that you intentionally try to do to give an some escape and is that a therapeutic to you as well i was wondering if that kind of gives uh, you a, a release
2: no i mean that's cool you say that man well thanks um I don't think that hard about it. I usually think about, like, what's the best way for me to ex- to explain my, how I'm thinking. Again, I was, I was kind of taught myself, or somehow, one more on the line, believe that you should write what you feel. And uh, I've never been good at screenplays. You know, like, like Iron Maiden or something like that. That's all, like, screenplays. You know, that's a true escapism you know, I'm going to write about, I'm going to take, you know, the writers, they take themselves completely out of the picture, I and mean, they write a story about, you know, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I always fit it into me, into my own life, but I was always embarrassed about it being too boring, so I would pour over it and speak through the vernacular of, of all my favorite stuff, all my favorite visual stuff, like which would be bee culture, comic books, science fiction, religion works too, you know. Um, anything that would perhaps elevate uh, the meaning of the song or definitely uh, somehow visually decorate the song with from the words uh, that I had originally chosen, which were pretty boring. You know, if I were ever to pare it all down, my, my lyrics would be like bad country and western song. I woke up today and missed my girl. You know? <laughs> I, I'm, too, I'm too embarrassed to say that, so I have to go... You know, I woke up today and there's a giant sucky void in the cosmos, you know, like just drama it up. But it turned into this kind of ursats kind of poetry evocative kind of thing that worked for me. And it fit the music. You know, it was like the words have to fit the music. And if it wants to take people away, it can. Or if somebody wants to look deeper and go, oh, actually, this is just guys, you know, some guy sitting on a hood of his car, like worrying. Hey, they could do that too. It's always important to have like two different two different ways to go and listen to the song. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the fact that it turned out to be a bit of escapism was really cool to me because it made me very happy because I realized that people were interpreting the people that did listen the music were interpreting the lyrics in somewhat different ways, which is a good sign. you know I never just wanted to go out and like this is the way it is. Don't think about anything. this is exactly what I wanted to say. No sometimes I want people to go. I'd rather them own it. You know, I'd rather have the person go, well, this is what I think it, it, this song is saying. And I agree with this. I agree with that. So it's worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think that's what makes music so personal to people is they can kind of, you know, craft it to, you know, whatever they're thinking at the time. And it, you know, kinda... yeah,
2: dude, I've discovered like year after year as I do this, like the record's never over until it belongs to someone. And they're the final editor. You know what I mean? I mean, I may think I'm in control of this thing, but I'm really not. In the end, there's one more person, one more contributor to this thing, and that's the person that goes, ah, this sucks, and never listens to it again. (laughs) Or the person that says, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you do what you do, and then you hope, you know, you pray to the fucking Odin or whoever (laughs) that somebody gets something out of it.
0: And does it always kind of surprise you when you do put it out, how people interpret it? Do you ever have like one way think it's going to go, then it goes a complete you know left turn?
2: Totally, it's fantastic. It's great. It always it always really gets me. And uh, it's weird. Never really was in this for quote unquote hits, you know. So it wasn't about for me. It wasn't about getting hits on the radio and playing all that playing that game. I didn't think I was good enough, so I figured figuring I would just. I just couldn't see myself being that much of a craftsman, you know, to kind of like point it in that direction. So this has always been just throwing stuff out there and just hoping that somebody somewhere gets it in one sort of way. And and every once in a while, commercially, it comes up and it's successful too. So that would surprise me. Uh, and, that's, and that's really still on how they're perceiving it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It just had nothing to do with me and my intent yeah. It's cool. Uh, you yeah, it just music is music is an awesome thing. It's also like hard to control once you put your soul into it then it's like it's not a control thing anymore. It's just like, well, you have to go with your instinct and hope that it works out for somebody else. I love
0: that factor of it. And of course one thing I really like about the new album too, is it's got such a you know interface presence so it's definitely gonna be one that you're gonna be, you know, able to I a live context is going to be really powerful. And, and I'm sure you guys are going to be doing a lot of European dates. But I have to wonder if you're going to do any American dates as well. Do you have any North American plans at all? Yeah,
2: uh, we're, we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about, uh, well, right now when the record comes out, which is like two weeks, we're doing three shows on the East Coast. Um, uh, the Music Hall of Williamsburg in Brooklyn, uh, Starland Ballroom in New Jersey, and uh, the Fillmore uh, Theater in Philadelphia. That's just when the record comes out. And then a month later, we go on a uh, like a full-on headline tour of Europe. And then now we're just setting up a, a full-on tour of the United States, which will probably happen in September.
0: Well, I've got my fingers crossed for an Austin show. I saw you guys here a few years ago. Would you oh, play Oh, you will
2: definitely come back to Austin, man. Now, Texas is one of the best places. Well, Texas fucking knows how to rock. Texas put, consistently puts out cool rock bands.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs>
2: I mean, still, it's fucking Texas is the home of the guitar. It's one of the last places in America where people play, you know, consistently turns out cool guitar players. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, you don't see any fucking cool fuzz box wearing motherfuckers from Oregon. You know what I mean? Like, you hear that badass fuzz player from Oregon? No, but Texas, you know. There's always c- cool shit, in there. Texas has a has a has a. Um, uh, a history you know going back to the moving sidewalks pre fucking ZZ Top you know psychedelic moving so- sidewalks blood rock you know it's awesome
0: well I definitely hope to see you guys down here and I think that wraps up all my questions anything you wanted to add about the new album before we wrap up or you wanted to tell no, fans no, I'm good I'm good all right. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, Dave. It's been a real pleasure. Cool. You too, dude. Pleasure talking to you. Bye. So a big thanks to Dave Window for taking the time out for this interview. Visit my website, smellslikeifinetsadness.com. You can read my review of Mindfucker, as well as that interview I did with Dave a few years back. And as promised, we're going to close with the new song, I Am God, which if you're on Anchor FM, you can listen to via the Spotify link. So check that out, see what you think, and take care, and I'll talk to you soon.